Beyond Synth, Season 7, Sequence Commencing in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hello there, welcome to the show. This is Beyond Synth, episode 216, and we are nearing the end of the year. Only one more month, and, uh, you know, like every year I like to shake things up, and so I'm working out what changes I want to make for next season, and there's gonna be some. So, I hope change does not scare you, because some things are gonna change. Did I mention that some things are going to change? <laughs> it's happening. Um, look, I like to reinvigorate myself in this show by switching things up, but I also want to make sure that you guys still get everything that you want. Or at least I'm going to keep making the show exactly how I want and hope that's what you want. But we'll uh, worry about that later. How about we start the show, listen to some cool music, and do the do. So look... This is a kick-ass song from Zircon, Z-I-R-C-O-N. This is Beyond Vision.
And that was Beyond Vision by Zircon. And that was brought to you by my awesome patrons. There's Robert D. Bishop and Chris Dance, the kings of the Pattersons and the 88 Club. And then there's Six Mill with the 84 and Mike Shima with the 82. You guys are very special people, and I want you to know that. And that's why I say it every week. You know, last week was Patron Appreciation Day, and uh, people were taking to Twitter to thank their patrons. And as I said on Twitter, and I will say here now, if you listen to Beyond Synth, you know that I thank my patrons every day. Because, of course, without you, there would be no show. And next year, we're going to be shaking things up. Ooh, shaking it up. I wrote a tweet where I said, have you ever wanted to smash your talk show set just to feel alive? So the question is, was I joking or what? Ooh, something for you guys to look forward to. Because either I was or I wasn't. (laughs) Oh, and I'd like to say, I think in the last episode, 215, there might have been some confusion about uh, something I said. So I was talking about how I don't like to say my negative opinions on the show because I don't think it's very productive. However, I don't know if I was super clear in my sentence because I think some people got the impression that I meant I don't like to say negative opinions about anything. And that is, of course, not true. You've heard me bitch about The Last Jedi for a very long time. Just to be absolutely clear, what I was saying was I don't like to criticize the artists I have on the show or play on the show. Basically because, you know, the synthwave scene is a small scene, and I don't know that it does the artists any good. Believe me, like, there are people who I think are terrible. There are people who send me songs that I think are terrible. But I don't see the utility in, like, publicly saying that they're terrible because the scene is relatively small and i think that artists who are just coming up should be encouraged but then again not overly encouraged because <laughs> sometimes i see some people who this used to happen in the days of the synthetics uh, on facebook where you know like a seasoned artist would post a song and people were like yeah whatever and then like some new person would join and everyone would be like heaping on praise you know just to be encouraging and uh, obviously we want to encourage quality i'm just not comfortable giving feedback to people because I don't think I really know enough about music technically to do that. I know what I like and I know what moves me. I know what bores me, but I don't always know how useful it is. Sometimes people, I mean, everyone's egos are sensitive and sometimes when people ask for criticism, they're not exactly asking for criticism, if you know what I mean. So basically that was my point. I'm just saying, yeah, there's artists I could name that are not good, but I'm always holding out hope that maybe one of these days they will be. And I actually have seen some artists who I thought were bad actually improve. Will I ever tell them that? No. (laughs) But I've seen it. It has happened. And there's some people who just sort of float forever in this mediocre zone, and uh, that is the way it is. Anyway, look, let's listen to some more music. This is a cool one from Retro Thunder. This is Desert Storm.
And that was Desert Storm by Retro Thunder. Brought to you by my awesome patrons. With the 4488, it's Jacob Wick and City Hunter with the 42. And in the 2666 Club, it's Lucas Ceballos and Hugh Hefner. That's right, I flipped it. See, I'm already shaking things up here, man. I'm doing it. I told you I bought an Xbox. I think I elaborated on the last high five about how I didn't like the menu. That hasn't changed. Although, the other day, I plugged it in and it didn't work. Now, I know I bought a used Xbox off of Kijiji. For you foreigners, that's something like uh, Craigslist. And the damn thing just wasn't sending an HDMI signal, like, to the TV. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, I've owned this thing for, what, a week? Two weeks? And uh, two weeks. And, uh, yeah, the screen was black. And I'm like, oh, come on. I'm, like, replacing the cable and turning it off and on. And then eventually it just worked. Because right now we're using the Xbox uh, to use Disney+. Plus Because I have a very old Apple TV. Or, uh... IT, what do you call that fucking thing? Little box. The Apple TV box. It's called Apple TV? Doesn't Apple sell TVs? Anyway, it's so old that I don't think it actually updated with the Disney app, and so the Xbox came in useful. So now it is a machine to play Conquer on and to <laughs> watch The Mandalorian. And that is. <laughs> And speaking of which, that show is awesome. You know, I know I bitch a lot about Star Wars on this show. It doesn't make me happy. You know, sometimes nerds get a bad rap when they're mad about something, but really it's because you just know the potential of something, and it's very disappointing to see it ruined. You know, for all the people who still sort of defend Last Jedi and stuff, I mean, okay, in one month time, we've got the new Star Wars movie, and it is public knowledge now that they had no plan for this trilogy, that they've been making up each movie as they go. But the turnaround time is shorter. See, because I was thinking about that, because people could say the same thing about the original Star Wars trilogy. I mean, after all, the plan sort of kept shifting. In that book, I read The Secret fuck was it called the secret something of star wars which was really good where it goes in depth into the different script iterations of the original star wars films and you know darth vader was not luke skywalker's dad in the original plan like that's something that they made up when they got to empire strikes back so it's not like making things up on the spot is entirely bad but since the way films were made back in the day versus the way they are now. First of all, these Star Wars movies are on a two-year turnaround time, right? The old ones were three. And because everything was practical, you know, you needed to have a lot more set in stone before you started filming. See, nowadays, since everything is digital, you, you can literally make shit up right until the moment the movie goes to theaters. And I think that is a problem. So, it makes me very happy that The Mandalorian is actually a wicked show. And uh, here, maybe I'll do a little spoiler-free review. But first, we got to uh, listen to some more music. Now, this one was... I had a bunch of listeners coming to me, and they're saying, Hey, man, you got to play some Scattle. You never played Scattle before? And I'm like, I played some Scattle. Anyways, we're going to listen to some Scattle. And it's uh, brought to you by my awesome patrons in the $25 Club. Uh, Clint Dowling, Techno Ben, Neptune 90, Restless Nights, and Honeybeard. And this is a track called Cardio by Scattle.
And that was Scattle with the track Cardio. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 Club. There's Tim Carlton, Johnny Five, Emilio Astavez, and Pattern Shift. And if you want to listen to any of the artists I feature on the show, just click on the More Info button if you're listening on SoundCloud, and all the links are posted. I think I was talking about this on the High Fives. If Facebook continues to not let me at mention artists in my posts, I'm just not going to post the show to Facebook anymore. And that'll be one of the changes for next year. (laughs) It's just annoying. Like, the whole point of posting on Facebook is to at mention the people who are featured in the show so that they see that they're featured. And some artists, if they want to repost the show or not, that's up to them. But at least the option is there. You know, when they don't even know that they're featured in the show, I'm not going to, like, email them individually and be like, hey, I played your song today, which I have been doing because I haven't been able to at mention them. Uh, Anyway, look, the bottom line is... Uh, We're having a good time today. Did I mention that the guest today is Johan Beckstrom, which is how you say it? Because I said Johan Backstrom, and that is not how it is pronounced. And you will hear that interaction when I chat with him later in the show. But he makes uh, cool music that I uh, really enjoy. It's got that early, early 80s synth pop sound. Anyway, as of me posting this episode, um, we're up to three episodes of The Mandalorian, and I am uh, very happy. Here's the thing. I may have said this before. Uh, I apologize. As it gets towards the end of the year, I forget what the fuck I've said and haven't said, but spoiler-free Mandalorian. This show just feels like Star Wars, and it makes me happy to watch, and I have booted up Disney on my computer just to re-watch my favorite scenes from the episodes, and every episode has had like really cool sequences that I go back and watch. I think this is a really good show, and I hope they don't fuck it up. <laughs> See, that's the problem, is... The problem I have with the new Star Wars movies is they've they've made me jaded where I don't trust them. Like, I'm literally watching The Mandalorian right now going, this show is so cool, and I'm re-watching it, and I watch the whole episodes again. I haven't done that in years. You know, honestly, it was like maybe season one of Game of Thrones I watched a bunch of times. Season two I watched key episodes. And then season three onwards, I pretty much just watched scenes I liked. And then I think... Season 5 onwards, I only watched the episodes once. I don't even think I rewatched anything. Uh, we all know what happened to Game of Thrones. Such a pity. But so far, Mandalorian's really cool. What I like about it is how simple it is. Uh, I think I've just been um, beaten down by too many shows that are trying to be too big and complicated. And I love that the episodes of Mandalorian, they're like, they're 35 minutes. And they're pretty straightforward shows. And I think that makes me happy. So I hope they can keep it up. Episode 3 was fucking wicked, man. Like, it ended with a wicked fight scene that was awesome. And it made me, uh... I I just keep on saying it made me happy. Look, it, like... The fact that I don't like Last Jedi doesn't please me. I don't like being an angry nerd. I wish I liked it. I've had people on this show who like it, and I wish I did. I wish I was like you. But it's not only that I don't like that movie, it's that it makes me sad in a way that sucks, you know? Like, when you watch Braveheart, I get sad at the end, but it's because, like, oh, what a good movie. It made me feel something. Uh, Star Wars just made me depressed. So I'm happy that The Mandalorian doesn't. And there's lots of little aspects. I mean, I'm sure most of it's been spoiled. The the, the baby. But uh, I love that character so much. Character's awesome. Uh, 
Anyway, okay, whatever. Look, let's listen to some more music. This is a track from Mike Spawn. It is brought to you by my awesome patrons in the $25 Club. Kempson, Martin Larby, Gregorio Franco, and Blake Peterson. This is Mike Spawn with Miami. Was Miami by Mike Spawn from the album Hyperthrust. <laughs> 
that was, I don't know why I said it like that. Uh, that was brought to you by my awesome patrons. With the 2049, it's Ashley Keegan. With the 1985, Rachel Buchelman. Boy, I fucked it up there. Rachel Buchelman. I almost said like Brukelman. <laughs> And uh, Murat with a 1984. And we're back here. This is Beyond Synth, episode 216. We got Yuan Beckstrom coming up in uh, just a bit. We're going to listen to a few more songs. Yeah, so here's the thing. I don't know if this was the right thing to do or not. I found this kind of funny. So, you know, we did the Beyond Synth curated bundle through Groupies. And Groupies' whole thing is they donate a portion of the sales to charity. And then the rest of the money gets distributed to the artist. So it's like a charity thing. But since I'm so bad at math and I chose 10 artists for the bundle, which was a lot of artists, I don't know if it's, is it like bad to talk business publicly? (laughs) Anyway, so basically I had a curator fee. So then Groupies takes a percentage, then I get a percentage because I was the curator and then the big portion of it goes towards the artist. But since I chose 10 artists. See, in my head, when I see a number, like, you know, if it says, like, you get 20% and and the artist gets 60, then to me, I'm like, oh, that's right. Yeah, the artists get more than me. Perfect. But then when, if it's like 60%, but then that gets divided up a bunch, a whole bunch of artists, that means that I actually make more than the artists on the bundle. I didn't even really consider that. Like, honestly, guys, I'm so busy editing the show and stuff that I don't, I just don't have business brain. And it's not the fault of anyone involved. Like, all this stuff was up front and everyone agreed to this. But when I actually saw the numbers at the end, I just felt weird because I'm like, I don't think I should be getting more than the artists on this thing. I mean, I understand it's like a charity thing, but it made me feel weird because obviously people were getting the bundle because of the artists, you know, not because of me. So the other day I just basically took a bunch of what I made and then just gave it to the artists as well, which amounted to very little, (laughs) which is... (laughs) Which is the thing where I don't know if it was like the right thing to do. It made me feel good. I just felt odd because I like, look, I made a little video and I know like I, I kept on tweeting about it and stuff like that. But I, I know what people wanted and you know, like FM attack, that was his new album. So it was all a learning experience. You know, if I did a bundle again, maybe I wouldn't pick so many artists so that they could get a bigger share. And I would probably then from the get go. Okay. Here's my thinking. If the show was huge, you know what I mean, and I had like a million listeners a week and like people buy the bundle because of me, then I would understand taking like a big share, right? Because you'd be like, it's like a celebrity endorsement. It's like they're buying literally the Andy last bundle. But in this case, I'm pretty sure they were buying it because like the new FM attack was on there. You know what I mean? Like, and a lot of people were always like, ooh, Electric Dragon. Like they were excited, you know, all these things. And I I chose a very eclectic mix uh, on purpose because I wanted people to hear some of the stuff that I think people didn't know about or weren't listening to. Like I was, I was happy to see a lot of the comments in the bundle going like, oh, this Kid Casio album's like pretty catchy. And I'm like, yeah, I know it is. Like, <laughs> it was all like, I, I was happy with all the, the selections I made. And so it was cool to um, to get that music to people. So anyways, I don't know. Did I do the, did I do the right thing? I don't know. I've been thinking about it. Anyway, the right thing right now to do, I think, is to listen to some more music. So this is Halogen Hearts off the album Artifacts 2. It's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $15 Club, Hampus ML, Kenjiru, and Chatterack. And uh, <laughs> this track is called Night Run by Halogen Hearts. Thank you. 
And that was Halogen Hearts with the track Night Run. And it was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. Well, there's Mads Baron Christensen, Prophet of Jupiter. And we will never forget the immortal Chris Lyalane. And we are back. We are going to talk to Yuan Beckstrom in just a moment. We're going to listen to one more song. And, oh, <laughs> so, you know, before when I'm talking to you about being a bad businessman, this is how disorganized I am as well. You know, I always say I'm disorganized. <laughs> Last week, I bought two albums that I already had. That is pure disorganized nonsense, okay? So, I think it was either Marco or Julian. No, it was Marco. Yeah, he played a Demi K track from Demi K's album and a track from the new Arcades album, right? You know, I'm pals with the people who run Outland and they started Outland uh, record label and... So he sent me the new Arcades album fucking months ago, and Dimmy K sent me his album (laughs) months ago, and they were sitting there in my iTunes, but then when Marco was picking his songs and I picked up the albums to put the tracks in the show, and then yesterday I'm looking at my playlist, and I'm like, why are these fucking... Dimmy K and New Arcades doubled up tracks. I'm like, oh, do I have the waves and the MP3s? And then I go into my fucking folder, and I already had the albums. <laughs> so I bought them. They were like, they were literally given to me by the artists, and then I bought them. Because <laughs> I was so disorganized. Like, I'm just like, oh, I better get those. I better get those. Uh, so, word to the wise. Or word to me. Stop being so disorganized. Maybe that's something else I'll do for next season. Uh, so look, let's listen to one more track here. Let's listen to this one from Jules Drive. Uh, this is a cool song. And then when we're done, we'll go chat with Yuan Beckstrom, all right? So this is Jules Drive with the track Bloodwine.
And that was Blood Wine by Jules Drive. That is a cool track. And I just want to say, you know, you've heard me thank all of my Patreon supporters. If you want to support Beyond Synth like a cool person, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash beyondsynth. Or uh, you can just go to beyondsynth.com and click on the PayPal button if you'd like to donate like that. And it's cool, because even the PayPal button has, like, installments. So it's almost, it functions similarly to the Patreon. Like, you can actually click to say, like, uh, donate once a month, you know, like five bucks, and it actually uh, keeps going. So that's a cool thing to do if you like supporting things you listen to. And uh, that's all I have to say about that. So now let us go to my conversation with Yuan Beckstrom. All right. Well, I'm here right now, and I probably should have asked you this before we started recording. Um, how do you say your name? <laughs> In Swedish, I say Johan Beckström. Johan Beckström. You say Johan? Johan, 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 yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I know some other Swedish people who have that name, but I always say Johan. Yeah, that's how you English-speaking people say it, and that's fine. But uh, in Swedish, you say you won, you won, you won, you won. Okay, and then and then uh, backstrom like that. Yeah, backstrom, backstrom. Yeah, good. You sound like a sweet. (laughs) You won backstrom. Yeah. All right. I mean, I don't have any. Uh, I did. I do no research, so we can take this time to sort of uh, get to know Yuan, and and that's what we'll do. I will say, I found. I don't even know why. I was doing a music search, and I found your album Utopia, and this was one of my uh, the the pleasant surprises of 2019 for me because I really, really like your music. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm really glad you liked it. Because I do this show, it's sort of in and around the synthwave scene, and so there's a lot of people making this sort of retro sort of electronic music. There's only a few artists who really capture like the spirit of like the early 80s kind of synth pop stuff. Yeah, yeah. And what I like about your music is you really, it really reminds me of like Depeche Mode, but like early Depeche Mode. Mm, mm. I feel like I, I'm not like a super music expert when it comes to like what tools people were using, but I feel like I recognize some of the synth kind of sounds from like Depeche Mode's first album. Mm. These sorts yeah. of uh, the, the kind of beeps and some of the sounds and stuff. And But your singing style, it reminds me of things like some of the, the Giorgio Moroder tracks, you know, like... Uh, like never ending story and things like this like you have a very sort of a strong and and clear voice uh, thank you and so this in combination i just find i really like the uh, i really like the whole thing man like i i really like when i found this album i was like holy shit like it's just really well produced wow solid songs catchy melodies uh it's just great stuff thank you so much for saying that makes me really happy really happy and um and I think you're right about the sound because that's the music I grew up with, with the you know early Depeche Mode, Yazoo. So I really, really like that sound, and then of course that reflects quite a lot, I suppose, in my music. So yeah, yeah. And also I use some of the equipment they used back then, so that probably has some impact. What is it specifically? Like, what are those sounds that I'm hearing that... Because I've always been a fan of Depeche Mode, but they sort of change. Like, with every album, their sound would always be, like, sort of changing. So... With this album, Utopia, and I guess some tracks, you know, fr- from your previous one as well, is like, I do, 
there's something about the samples and the and the sounds that I feel like it's that whatever the hell keyboard they were using for the first one. Yeah, I I don't think it's one particular synthesizer or, or keyboard, but but the fact that all the synthesizers back then were monophonic, you can only play one one note at a time, uh, which meant you couldn't take big chords. You 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 had to build the soundscape of of one note melodies basically, and that that's what Vince Clark used to do back then, and that's what I do very much as well so i think that's has more to do with it than the sound character of, of one synthesizer but of course if, if you look at the early the yasu records they were made with the synthesizer called pro one which i have one and i use it quite a lot so so that has some impact as well of course sure so tell me then let's get to know you here because i didn't i i know zero about you sort of <laughs> I don't know, like, have you been making music for, like, a long time? Like, what's your story? Yeah, I started making music when I was 13 years old, I think. My first Casio keyboard I got for Christmas. Uh, and I bought myself a small synthesizer, and we started a band, me and, and two friends from school. We made some instrumental electronic synth-pop-ish music. Then I ventured on playing more like in, in traditional rock bands when I was 15, 16 years old, but came back to the electronic music again when around my 20s. And um, in 94, I met uh, a friend of mine, a mutual friend <laughs> in, a, in a studio. And um, we, we realized we had the same taste in music and he was a singer and I was a keyboard player. So we started a band called Daily Planet. We were signed after a two years so in 95 we released uh, a single in 96 we released uh, our first album called the tide then we did nothing for 18 years uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we did we did some shows and we're out playing some some gigs uh, here and there but but no more recordings for many reasons uh, we had some arguments with the record label at the time and, and life came in between you know <laughs> with kids and work and everything so it just ran out and but 18 years later, in 2014, we, we made our second album. And after that one, I did my first solo album. And then we made a third album with Daily Planet in 2017. And finally, in 2018, I made the Utopia, the second solo album. So that's the story in short. <laughs> As a bad radio host, I did very little research because I just really love this, you know, the solo stuff you're doing. But like, uh, if people listen to this and they know who you are, mm. will they be annoyed if I don't ask questions about Daily Planet? <laughs> I don't know. But no, I don't think so because I think it's fine because I've re realized that I have, I have gained some interest among people who never heard Daily Planet. So you're not the only one. And that's, I suppose it's a good <laughs> it's a good review. <laughs> yeah, well, because I don't want it to be one of those situations where if, like, you know, I'm interviewing some, like, famous basketball player who started uh, no. making music, and then everyone listens to the interview because they want to hear about basketball, but then, like, <laughs> I didn't know about that part, so I'm just talking about the music bit. I don't know why no. I needed to use a metaphor. I think no. <laughs> anyway, no. I'll pepper no. this with some Daily Planet stuff throughout the thing. Yeah, uh, just, just just for those people so they don't get upset at me that I didn't. Uh... <laughs> okay, so how about this? Let's listen to a track and then we'll keep talking. So this is the title track uh, from the Utopia album. This is Utopia by Yuan Beckstrom.
right, that was Yuan uh, Beckstrom with the track Utopia from the album Utopia, and I'm here right now with Yuan. Yeah. And uh, am I doing that right? Yeah, you are. Sounds sounds great. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah I'm impressed, actually. So yeah. It's just so hard. Every time I see it, I, I really want to say Johan. Like it's uh... <laughs> anyway. So you had this sort of music career before. So are you like uh, an older guy? Are you older than me? You must be. I suppose so. I don't know how old you are. <laughs> I am 38 years old. Yes, I'm I'm nine years older than you. I'm 47. Yeah, see, I can't tell because, you know, with, within this scene, there are young people who, like, didn't grow up in the 80s, but they're inspired by that sort of music. And then there's the occasional person I talk to who, exactly what you've done, you know, like, starts having this solo career sort of, like, later on. And then I assume that they're younger just because everyone else that I seem to talk to seems to be young people. And then it turns out, oh, they've got this whole history. And uh, they've been doing this for a long time. And they actually lived through this decade and made music during it, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. That's true. What is it, do you think, with uh, Swedes and electronic music? I don't know. I've had that question before. And, and there's always been um, an interest for this sort of music in Sweden. I think if you look at, for example... You're Canadian, you know about Rational Youth, I suppose. Um, Canadian band who were very big in Sweden, but not so much in, in the rest of Europe, I think. So so a lot of bands grew bigger in Sweden than, than other places in Europe. And, and I don't know, it's it's always been a good scene for, for this sort of music. And, and it's like this today as well. You can go to quite many festivals and shows and see electronic bands in Sweden. If you compare it with Denmark, who is our neighbor, there's pretty much nothing except for one show that was last weekend and I was there playing and that was yeah. <laughs> uh, that was one of the first in a long time from what I could understand so um, yeah it's always been a, a big scene for this music in Sweden or big is probably not the right word in these days but but it's bigger than in other countries but yeah well it's interesting because like I've had a lot of Swedish guests mm -hmm. like it just it just works out that way like there just seems to be a lot of Swedish artists who like making electronic music and synth pop and um, there was this thing called the demo scene yeah. you know with the uh, nerds who made like uh, chiptune music and electronic music from video game with video game sounds and stuff and like that it seemed like it was really big in Sweden as well and then a lot of electronic musicians came out of that scene and it's yeah, it's, so. yeah with the yeah. Atari's and Amiga computers and, and yeah, yeah, yeah 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 when you said you sort of had this break for uh, <laughs> this big chunk of time were you still like making music and just not releasing it or were you actually just away from music entirely to like do family stuff at first I was doing music but I made a very bad decision to in the early around the millennium, uh, like in 2000, 2001, all these software synthesizers started to come and I s decided to sell all my hardware equipment and start making music in the box, in the computer with, with software, which obviously was not for me because it killed off every... <laughs> I had no inspiration from that whatsoever. So I started making four bars of music and then doing something else and then doing four new bars but I never finished any songs and this led to it, it was not very much fun and then... then after a few years, I did pretty much nothing at all. Up until 2013, when I started buying hardware again and then realized that this is really, really 
really good fun. Like, how did you make songs then prior to before, like the digital audio sort of things? Like, re- did you have did you have the capability to make stuff at your house, or was this all through when you were with Daily Planet, where you like had to go to the studio and stuff? Yeah. Like, how did that work? We could prepare and do uh, programming and everything, but we could not record anything because I can only only sequence stuff from my computer. I could not record audio. Uh, in the, I, I was on an Atari computer. So to, to make demo songs, we, we went to a studio somewhere. We can rent a cheap eight channel or maybe even sixteen channel, you know, with reel to reel tape and and uh, record demos. And um, our first album was recorded that way as well in a, in a big studio with thirty two channels, digital tape recorder. So yeah, I am familiar with using like digital audio workstations. Mm. And I think something, I guess, is lost in that idea that you can always keep going back to your file. But I imagine, like, in the old days, like, if you went and you had, like, a song and you rented a studio, you sort of had to, like, make the song that day, right? Exactly. Because, like you said, in a digital workstation, you can always just save and go have a coffee or or come back two days later and start from where you were and and everything is just exactly the same but when you're in the studio you you record and then it's done and and it's pretty much the same for me because i use even though i I can record everything in my studio but everything i do record is from old analog synthesizers with no memory if i make a sound for a song then i have to record it because once I change that sound, I would never ever get it back again. So, so it's and I, I think that drives me to finish songs as well because I I want to use the same synthesizer for another sound. Then I I better record that sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And if it's a bass sound, I I need to have the same bass sound all through the song, of course. And that forces me to write the rest of the song so I can use that bass sound for all of the song. Then I can use the same synth for something else. And then I can't just press save and come back and everything is saved. I need to record it. Did you ever take a picture of the keyboard to see where the knobs are? I think I've done it once or twice, but usually no, because if I if I'm working on something, then I just leave it, and and no no one else touches anything in my studio. So so, <laughs> so I can just leave it <laughs> until yeah. I'm done. But but if I make a really cool sound, which I would like to use perhaps some other time. Then I try to take a photo, perhaps, but then I don't find that photo when I need it. So, yeah. so <laughs> and also, if you, if you take a photo, because it's so so, it's a very fine. When you turn a knob, the slightest change can make a difference. So it's it's very hard to capture those small details in a photograph anyway. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, I want to listen to another song, but this is an interesting thing because I, I haven't. I've never really thought about this, like what you mentioned, how, you know, when you got the the purely digital thing, how you sort of lost your inspiration. And like, I, I want to expand on that a bit because I think it's interesting, but I want to listen to another track. So this is a track. I love this one from Utopia called Better Stories. Oh. And uh, this track is great. I love this one. And it's by uh, Yuan Beckstrom. Writing this 
same chapter once again She turns the page and listens to the voice Telling her that she has got a choice
and that was Better Stories by Yuan Beckstrom, and I'm here right now with Yuan. We're talking about making music the old-fashioned way, and uh, I really love just the chorus of that song. I think what I loved is just this album is just solid, catchy choruses. There aren't too many artists that I know right now that really do the throwback sound where they also have... It's uh, This is hard to explain. Like, within the synthwave scene, there's a lot of people making, like, cool music. Mm. And the albums are good, but they don't often have like the melancholy kind of songs I agree. you know there's that sort of synth pop the upbeat synth pop stuff and then there's a sort of like melancholy kind of mm. synth pop tracks artists like um color theory i don't know if you know him but um yeah he's got some tracks like that there are other artists who sort of do but it's not something i hear very often these sort of melancholy ballady type songs so that's why I, I dug that one. Especially within the synthwave scene. If I if I have understood synthwave correctly, I'm not sure. I, I, but they have cool sounds. They have cool um, like productions. But there there's no like no chorus that catches. I, I don't know. With synthwave, I mean, if you dig into it, like melody is a, a key component. But there is a sort of uh, like a generic synthwave sound. And when you hear it, it's very. It's like you know, it's got a poly six kind of. Uh, baseline. It's got a you know like this. So the more the more generic stuff is sort of like it has all the elements, but it doesn't really. It, it's not very inspiring. I, I know this girl. Her name is Nina. You know her? Yes, Nina. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think that's really good because that, that's that's good songs. Not not just a cool sound. It's a, it's good songs as well. I really like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Nina's great. And so a track like um, Beyond Memory of Nina is an example of it's it's a total synthwave song, right? It's got the bass line. It's got those things. But then it's elevated by the singing and stuff. And so within the synthwave, there, there are some sort of purists that only like the instrumental music. Mm. I personally like everything because I just like electronic music. So even even when I disparage generic synthwave, I still would prefer that to other types of music. Like, if I was going shopping in the mall, I'd rather hear synthwave coming out of the speakers, even if it was generic, mm. than the garbage that does come out of the speakers. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so, yeah. But... It takes the really talented people to, you know, take it and elevate it to the point where I where I find it sort of inspiring. And that's why I, I do gravitate usually more to the stuff with vocals, just because it distinguishes artists from each other. I've been doing this show since 2013, and I've acquired, like, a lot of music, and I have a synthwave playlist that's, like, 35 days long of music. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard for me to remember who's who if the music doesn't stand out in some way. Of course, of course. A voice is one more identification. So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah, so going back to that thing, because I find it interesting, have you ever thought, like, have you ever considered why you think that when you switch to digital, you, you lost, like, the inspiration? Like, have you ever just thought about why you think that is? I'm not sure really, but but perhaps I, I, I grew up with hardware, big synthesizers with knobs you can turn and, you know, uh, and, and going from that to sitting by a laptop or, or a computer with a mouse and a keyboard just doesn't talk to me like a, like an instrument. Like when, when you stand with a Minimog, it's wooden sides and big knobs and it's uh, it needs 20 minutes to warm up before it's in tune and it's a character. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean... It's it's a real instrument, and that's that's really inspiring to play compared to sitting by a PC. I mean, it's it's more like going to work. <laughs> so um, yeah, I guess yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I hear a lot of people saying the same thing. So I, I think the kids of today who, who grew up with a computer, with, with all the synthesizers you can have in a computer, to them it's okay. But if you grew up with real synthesizers, I think ah, it's, it's hard to go in, into the box completely. I can use some software as well, but mainly for effects and, and maybe some piano sounds or something. But, but sure, I can use it. And as they sound, today they sound really good. But back then in 2000, 2002, they were not really that good either. <laughs> they sounded quite bad compared to real synthesizers. So. You know, you can be inspired by sounds themselves, like certain sounds. Mm. And you know, like when you cycle through the presets of a keyboard, all of a sudden you just hit a note and then hearing that note compels you to do something. Yeah. Sometimes I'll go to the music store just because they have like the super expensive keyboards there. And there is something just so satisfying about when the keyboards are set up with proper speakers that the second you start hitting like some cool bass sounds, you instantly want to hit more notes. That's it. And, and I don't flip through presets because most of these synths don't have presets. But I start, you know, turning knobs and making sound. And then all of a sudden you have a great bass sound. Then you want to make something with that bass sound. And then you better write the song or, or you can't use it. So yeah. I guess in some ways, I know this is this is a slightly different thing. Almost sometimes when there's too much choice, it's the same thing why whenever I turn on Netflix, I don't end up watching anything. No. <laughs> and I think that same thing happens with music too. It's like if you flip through presets and there's too many, there's always that thing where you're, you're going to keep flipping because you go, uh, well, there's probably a better sound if I just keep going. Exactly. So that's that's why it's much better to start pro programming your own sound and, and just ending up exactly where you want to be. And then, then you start recording or writing song or whatever. Presets are dangerous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, look, let's listen to another track and then we'll uh, we'll keep chatting. Maybe we should listen to one from a lot of the tracks I picked were from Utopia because I just really like the album. But um, let's listen to a track from Like Before. And uh, this is a track called Come With Me by Yuan Beckstrom.
And that was Yuan Beckstrom with the track, Come With Me. And I'm here right now with Yuan. So that was a track from the your first solo album, right? Yep, that's right, that's right. This was when you decided to take the show on the road. So wait, so Daily Planet, was Daily Planet like, is it done or is it still a thing you will do? You never know with Daily Planet because we, <laughs> so, so I don't know, uh, we'll, we'll see, but you never know. I mean, it took 18 years from number one to number two, so maybe maybe it's going to take a few years to number four as well. <laughs> like, are you friends with the guy? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. To be honest, right now I, I'm into another project as well. Uh, I'm making a, an, an album with a, a band from the UK called White Door. I don't know if you are familiar with them, but they um, made one one album in 1983, I think, called Windows and then Nothing. And I've gotten to know the gentleman from that band. And we, we are right now making a, their second album 35 something years later. Oh, cool. Uh, so I'm working with that right now. And after that, I'm, I think I want to make another solo thing rather than the Data Planet. But you, you never know. You never know. It depends on what songs comes to your mind. And So what's your actual process then? I mean, we've We've been talking about, you know, setting up uh, uh, sounds and stuff like this. So when you create a song, is it like baseline first? Do you do any everything in sort of an order? Depends. It can be different. But often it starts with me programming one of my synths and making a cool sound. Could be a bass sound or a melody sound or something, which starts something. It could be like a chord progression or a melody or, or something like that. But sometimes I, I start writing at my piano. Uh, and start laying out some chords and finding vocal melodies but but usually the vocal melodies comes much later but it could happen that well, way as well so i don't do it exactly the same every time which i think is a good thing because then i would probably end up quite close <laughs> to the other song so i think it's good what about uh, lyrically lyrics are always the last thing in 99% of the cases i have no lyric ideas until the the song is pretty much finished with melodies and everything. I, I usually record vocals with just fake lyrics, you know, just making up something, mm -hmm. just to have something to work around with the, the, the keyboards. Uh, and then when I, I, I'm pretty close to finished, then, then I start writing lyrics. Um, I may have a concept for it, you know, I know what's it going to be about, but not really lyrics. But, but the, those are usually made in, in the in the final stage before everything is finished. Yeah. See, this is the thing I was talking to some other artists about, which I, I don't really bring this up too much, but I find it interesting. When artists... I mean, obviously, your English is, like, perfect, so, like, it's fine, but I, I, I always find it interesting when artists from other countries, you know, write and sing songs in English, mm. if English isn't, like, their first language. And I always wonder about that process. I mean, the way you're talking now, it's, your English is perfect, so, like, maybe you're the wrong guy to talk to about this but i but i do find it interesting like do you ever write or sing songs like in swedish never never first of all my my english is not perfect <laughs> but thank you of course the vocabulary is it's much smaller in english than in swedish so perhaps the lyrics would be more arty <laughs> with with the swedish language because i have more words but on the other hand writing in swedish puts a a lot more pressure on you to to make a really really good lyric because for some reason you expect more from a Swedish lyric than than lyrics in English as a Swede um, of course so, <laughs> and, and also I know English very often sounds better it, it's a, it fits better to to sing in English than, than in Swedish because we have 
more harder sounds in Swedish. I, I don't know. Or maybe it's just because you've heard so much music through your life and 90% is in English. So it makes sense to sing in English. Do you ever find, though, if you're writing something and you're trying to come up with a rhyme or something like that, do you consult like, do you ever go, okay, this is the song, and then you just, like, kind of clarify with, like, an English person? Like, does this line make sense, or do you just sort of do your thing no, and just... No, I, 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 I do my thing. I think I've checked one or two words with someone's at one song, because I, it was a bit personal, and I didn't, I didn't want it to be the wrong words, <laughs> because it, it was about someone. Right. Uh, but... But uh, usually, no, no, I, I, I just go. <laughs> I think English itself as a language actually has the most words of any language, like just single words, because anytime new words gets invented, they're in English and then other languages adopt them. Mm, mm, yeah. Like email is like an English word. And then if you're like speaking in French, they just say email. Like, that's true. That's true. But there seems to be a poetry of other languages that have more flourishes in the way that they explain things. Because I'm in Canada, and so our other language is French. Yeah. And so I've always found that um, French sentences are just longer. They just have more ways of explaining things and sort of more like so there's almost more detail to it. Like my mom's French and she always goes off about how like. If you talk in French, it's just it's so much more detailed in the way that things are explained. And English is almost more like utilitarian. It's just like we just have a word for it. You know what I mean? And then it, it has these little tiny sentences. But I think French is quite a colorful language, isn't it? I think so. I have to look up again. I assumed that, um, you know, something like Chinese or something would have had the most were, I don't know why I made that assumption, but I think it turns out that English actually has the most just words. Yeah, I know there's by far more words than, than Swedish. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, that's true. But it's interesting then what that must do to like the songwriting process in general and like the expectations. Like, is there like a rich history of like Swedish poetry or like singer songwriters? Like, I don't really too, know too much about stuff that's like native Swedish stuff. Yeah, but we have plenty of... You know, poets and, and, and artists and, and have had since since ages <laughs> so so yes there's a lot of Swedish music uh, as well it's just not for me I, I like to listen to it but I don't write it well how about this let's listen to another track <laughs> this uh, actually this is an instrumental track you did I really like this one oh. it's called Cassini and it is by Johan Beckstrom <laughs> Thank you. 
And that was Yuan Beckstrom with the track Cassini. And I'm here right now with Yuan. That's from the album Utopia. Yeah, this song was cool. It reminded me... Again, I, I, I don't want to keep on bringing up Depeche Mode. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, they have a, this instrumental track. I think it was on the second album. Yeah. Uh, which I always really liked a lot. And I don't even remember what the hell it's called. But I've <laughs> I listened to so many things. I was like, what the fuck is that song called? Sound of the Rainfall? No? It's on that same album. That's a weird album, that one. A Broken Frame, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like. Up until the synthwave scene sort of existed, I always listened to mainstream music, but the kinds that I could find that I liked, you know? So Depeche Mode was always my favorite group just because they are popular, but they're also weird. They always make kind of strange decisions in terms of the sounds they choose and stuff. So there was other stuff that was more commercially like, I don't know, like when I think of like Duran Duran or something, you know what I mean? And In yeah, the 80s, yeah. I don't want to use the word more normal, but definitely like easier for regular people to listen to. Yes, I think you're right. They were the new romantic wave. Yeah, I find like Depeche Mode, they make great pop songs, but they also were a little darker and kind of weird. There's always some weird decision they make in every song for like some sound effect or some instrument. Yeah, some strange flute. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but when I go back and listen to them, I, A Broken Frame to me is a really strange album. And I know that's like when they first started doing stuff on their own. And it's kind of a weird one. Like it's got a few tracks I like, but overall, like the vibe of that one is a little strange for me. I think I, I like it quite a lot. So also the third third one, Construction Time again, is, is also one of my favorites actually. Yeah. Speaking of fucking weird sounds, like the actual song, like the... <laughs> Where it's got the weird, like, pitch bend uh, vocals. The... Working on the pipeline. pipeline. Yeah. <laughs> Working yeah. on the pipeline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think my favorite Depeche Mode album is Black Celebration. That's a good one. That's a really good one. It's only in recent years... Maybe like the last like three albums where I'm kind of like, okay, like there's only really like a few tracks. Mm, like the last 20 years or so. <laughs> Everything starting with about Exciter mm. was when I started to go like, okay, like they're not, but there's still a song. There's still like the occasional song, but like Delta yeah. Machine, I think was the last album. And I think the Exciter album you mentioned that's the that's the last all through good album i think according to me exciter was weird i what i the thing i found with exciter was um very strange percussion in that one mm. i actually preferred uh playing the angel okay the song um precious which almost feels like they took the template of um enjoy the silence i've never done the math or like tried to compare them but i feel like it's almost like the same bpm and structure as Mm. enjoyed the silence it's funny you mentioned this because i had this exact discussion with a friend on facebook the other day because, because i we were talking about the fresh mode and i said exciter is the last really good album and and he said yeah but but precious is a really good song yes <laughs> and I, <laughs> well it is like my well, comment that was that i think precious yes it, it is a good song but it sounds like the pesh mode trying to sound like the pesh mode so it's it's not really got that nerve but it sounds like the Mode, but it's almost like they tried to sound like the Mode rather than... I guess you're absolutely right, but I think I preferred that. Like, I think you are correct. 
it, and, and that's why I bring it up because like when I think about precious it does sound to me like enjoy the silence at least structurally yeah I would agree but I think what I liked about it was that uh, that album has more of um it just sounds bigger I found like exciter sounded almost like thin to me like the bass like the beats are very like clicky and poppy very electric Yeah. yeah, whereas like, you know, playing the angel brought back like kind of big sounding kind of bass sounds where like the songs felt I like when songs feel big, mm. like in full, like that's something I enjoy. But since then, it hasn't been like I don't think I've loved like an entire Depeche Mode album all the way through. You know what I mean? Like since that time it's like there are, you know, three songs on every album that I like, yeah. but yeah. not necessarily love in the same way that I used to, but I'm still happy they're making music. Yeah, and and they are entitled to change their style, of course. I mean, everyone everyone needs to evolve, <laughs> but yeah, everybody can't like it. And and to be honest, I cannot mention one one song title from the last two three albums. I I think I've listened to them once or twice and, and just realized that it's not for me. But but hey, <laughs> they they still have an audience. Maybe it's not the same audience as they had back then but that doesn't matter <laughs> I guess also too like back in the day I would just listen to the older things a lot more I think the whole reason why I brought this up was just to say that you know once people were really the synthwave scene kind of started taking off I pretty much only listened to music sort of in and around the synthwave scene like I I barely listen to mainstream music anymore at all because this is the music I was always waiting for like I was waiting for people to be like I wanted that it's sometimes it's hard for me to even quantify because I don't I don't really speak in musical terms it's just sort of a feeling I get mm. and there's this feeling I get with electronic music but the kind of sounds that were created in like you know the 80s and the early 90s and even the late 70s you know there's these certain synth sounds that just feel sort of warm and um it's just hard to explain it's like uh, I, I know exactly what you mean and and also i think that it reflects on if i look on on i can see on spotify i have statistics showing me exactly who is listening to my music and i can see that that my audience is 80% male and they are 75-80% are between 40 and 59 years old. <laughs> so, <laughs> so old guys, that's that's my audience. And, and because of what you said, they, they remember the sounds and, and the, the, the feel of it. And, and that, that's, I mean, since, since you, my music is in that style, it appeals to, to people my age. <laughs> and you never get that on radio, because on radio you just get... Taylor Swift or whatever. And it just drives me nuts because they just play the same fucking 10 songs mm. on a loop. It's like even when I try hard not to listen to, you know, like modern music, it's like you you do eventually hear it. Yeah. And then if the radio is on for three hours, you end up hearing the same song play again if you turn it on at the wrong time, you know? It's very true. Anyway, but look, let's listen to some good music here. This was a track you did. I love this one. This one just is very big. Uh, ballady type song uh, from Utopia. It's called Into the 80s and uh, and it is performed by Yuan Beckstrom.
And that was Yuan Beckstrom uh, doing the track Into the 80s. Did you know that that's a Canadian song? Is it? Yeah, it is. It's a Canadian artist called Nick Gilder. Hot Child in the City, perhaps you heard that one. That's his biggest hit, I think. A rock rock artist. Was popular in the late 70s and early 80s. So it's a cover song. You should check out the original. <laughs> Wait, so he's Canadian? Should I know this? Am I like a bad Canadian? Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Canada last year or something. Well, that's not a thing. Can- Canada tries to... <laughs> Canada's funny because we always find ourselves in like competition with the States when it yeah. comes to like the entertainment industry. But the States is just... There's so much like exponentially more money in American entertainment. Like we have a walk of fame in toronto and it's not even like main street it's like this one i think it's on queen actually i should anyway like nobody cares that's that's a big canadian artist anyway so you, you should know about him i think he right. was in a band before called sweeney todd you know it's sweeney todd no? we best not ask me any more questions or else i'm gonna look like a very <laughs> ignorant canadian <laughs> you're, you're terrible for this <laughs> actually i had I'd never heard about this guy either because it's it was a friend of mine who also is in a Swedish electronic band called Posh. He, he said, "You want you should do a cover of this song because it's a great favorite of mine since when I was young, and, and you sh- you should try and make a cover." And I did, and it turned out good, I think. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a it's a fun track. So, <laughs> I love that too. Like it's like everyone's an electronic musician in Sweden. <laughs> I'm talking to my friend who's also in an electronic band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, when you're talking about Daily Planet before, and that you had a label or and stuff like that like how popular was that band i'm not really sure to be honest that was one of the things <laughs> which which made us have an argument with the, the record company because we didn't get very much uh, you know statistics on on sales and, and things like that and neither <laughs> neither payments so I, i'm not really sure but we never i mean we never made it we were never big it was synth pop in the 90s it was not a big thing but we had some radio play and found an audience so and the, the album was received very well with great reviews and, and stuff but exactly how much we sold I, I don't know well did you guys play shows and stuff a few yeah we played one of the biggest festivals in Sweden called Hultsfreds festival <laughs> that's such a swedish word i had to pronounce that <laughs> <laughs> I love, anytime i hear a word that's like yeah that's swedish yep, yep. <laughs> how do you yeah. even spell that uh, i can send you an email <laughs> you can read it later <laughs> <laughs> no but we, we made a few shows but not 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 too many and um then things started to go <laughs> go south and, and then just nothing more happened. So it, it's a bit unfortunate because I think there was so much, much more we could have done back then that we didn't do. But hey, that's life. So what did you fill your time with then when you uh, when you weren't making music? Well, I was raising kids and, and working, uh, civil work and uh, just normal life stuff. <laughs> did you miss it? Like, did you miss making music or did you find that the other stuff like occupied enough of your brain? It, it took a lot of, of time. And also, I, I did not really miss it because how it ended was it was not very much fun with those software sins I told you about. Mm-hmm. And then, so the feeling was that, ah, I don't know, this is not very much fun anymore. So, so no, I didn't miss it. But once and again, I sat down by the computer and, and tried and, and made four bars or eight bars of music that sounded quite good. Then, then I started thinking maybe it could be fun again. But then again, 
it ended up not being anything finished and no it started to become fun again in 2013 when i bought my my new first synthesizers <laughs> like what made you like after all that time buy a keyboard again it's a funny story actually because i was i turned 40 years old uh, my colleagues at my job they um <laughs> scrambled some money and bought me a small synthesizer because they knew i had since before and and so they bought me this smaller I don't know if you know it, a microcorg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got that for 40 years present and I uh, started playing with that and realizing, oh, this is much more fun than those software synths. But still, that corg isn't very great, but it's it's at least a hardware synth. So that triggered something and I started to talk to a, a friend of mine who also plays <laughs> synthesizer and we said, we should start a band and just, just for the fun of it. And, and I said, okay, let's go and buy one synth or and then I went went off to buy a, a real proper a profit uh, profit 08 from Dave Smith Instruments. And uh, when I came to the store, they also had this Moog, and I I got a good deal because if if I bought two cents at the same time, I could have it. <laughs> I came home with two a profit and a Moog. So so yeah, that's how it started, and and it never stopped since then. <laughs> it's like a drug. Yeah, I like the, I like the uh, the midlife crisis aspect of a musician. Mm. So instead of going out and buying like a sports car or uh, you know another thing, it's like you come home and you just <laughs> you have a bunch of keyboards. Yes, yes, it is a drug. But now I've been I've been uh, on rehab, so I I don't think I bought a synth for more than a year now. So I'm, I'm I think I'm safe now. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it is a it is a common thing. Like a lot of people I know uh, in this scene are slowly acquiring like rooms full of keyboards. Like I know some people who just have just rooms and shelves of just keyboards. Like every time they can obtain some old keyboard, like they do it. But then all the problems that come with them, like the retro keyboards of just the uh, the actual maintenance. And- I know. <laughs> you need to have a, a good friend with a, with a soldering iron, and, and I do. <laughs> so, that's a good thing. One one of my my best friends, Daniel. He, he's um, it's very great with fixing old synths, and he, also he thinks it's good fun. He's very kind and, and helps me out when 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 my old instruments go south. Then then, then he fixes them, so that's good. So do you have like a nice place to put them all, like a nice looking shelf or stands and things, or do they just uh, go in the cupboard when you're not using them? I have everything on on stands. I, we just bought a new house this year with a big room in the basement which I've, I've built a studio so i have everything up and everything is connected and and uh, i can record anything anytime i would like well that's cool so you have like stuff you're already thinking about and working on for a, a follow-up release no not so much really it's been so much since 2014 there i mean two albums with daily planet two solo albums and now almost finished this white door album the ideas tend to run out after a while so i think i need to stand back for a while and and you know, get some new inspiration, perhaps buy some new synthesizers to yeah. get some. <laughs> I don't know. But but no, it, it's, I have a few ideas, of course, but, but not so I can make an album, but perhaps a single. <laughs> yeah. Let's listen to one more track and then maybe we can wind down. Yeah. Cool. So I'd like to listen to this one. This is a, a cool track. It's called a cool strack. I just said, fuck, I can't even talk English. Uh, all right. <clears throat> this is a track called a silence by Yuan Beckstrom.
And that was Yuan Beckstrom with the track Silence from the album Utopia. And we've been talking to Yuan today uh, about uh, making tunes and doing all that sort of stuff. So is there anything we didn't talk about that you want to talk about? I think we covered quite a lot, actually. I think I'm fine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's weird. 
For like seven years, I've been asking people that question, and no one ever... Uh, I should probably stop asking that question, because <laughs> I don't think it's ever ended with somebody saying, oh, yeah, and then taking the conversation in a different direction. Uh, no. <laughs> Perhaps you could skip that one, yeah. <laughs> but that, that's because you make su- such great interviews, so, so you, you cover everything. That's why you get that answer. Uh, yeah, I wish that were true. I don't... <laughs> Well, look, man, you make cool tunes, and uh, I really like the sound, and I should I just reiterate that um, I don't even know why I stumbled on your album. Hmm. Sometimes people will email me and, like, send me stuff. I don't think you contacted me. No, I think you actually sent me a message telling me that you found my music and that you weren't going to play it. Lately, I've been so frazzled with uh, just the amount of work putting the show together is that I haven't um, had the same amount of time I used to to just search for music. So most of the stuff I play is sort of sent to me. Mm. And so I don't know why I stopped. But I know like when I did find your album, I was like so happy. I've listened to this album a lot. Just the the songs are just, they're all solid. Like I I love just nice catchy chorus melodies. It's a thing I I really enjoy. And so I hope you uh, make Make more music, man. I will do my best, and thank you so much for saying this, because it means a lot. I mean, you work hard, and and it's great to get this kind of feedback in return. It it makes me very happy, so thank you so much. Thank you. So we'll see what your your new studio can bring to the uh, Yuan Beckstrom experience. Yes. Although with a giant studio like that, doesn't that mean you're going to have to get a lot of, like, sound foam stuff? Yeah, I uh, built some consoles on the walls and filled them with uh, foamy stuff. (laughs) So the treatment is okay now for the acoustics, so yeah. Because that's got to be harder, because at first it must be cool have a big space to like have a studio in and then realize like shit am i gonna have to like treat all of these walls like it wasn't that much i mean it doesn't have to be absolutely dead but but you want the 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 worst reverb taken away but it's it's not too i can say i can send you a picture and you can see what i've done because one thing i was talking to uh some artists about was just the atmosphere of their space itself Mm. and how that sort of um helps with the music making process you know what i mean like setting up cool lights and stuff that's another drug i have uh you know philips have this u system yeah that's like uh, the led lights that where the colors change yeah and you can uh, connect them within to the wi-fi system and you can control them from everywhere in the world with your smartphone app and you can so i spent a lot of money on the light as well in the studio yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are not cheap, uh, but they, they are really nice for uh, ambient ambient lights so yeah well that's awesome yeah all right cool man well look uh, it was nice to meet you. Keep on making cool music. Thank you so much, and nice to meet you as well, and, and thanks for having me in, the, in your great podcast. Where can people go to find your tunes? You can go pretty much everywhere where you find music these days, like Spotify, iTunes, Deezer, Amazon, Tidal, for streaming, and if you want to buy a CD, you can buy them where you buy CDs. Uh, I'm not sure in Canada exactly, but I think the easiest would be to go to my the record company I'm signed to called progressproductions.com, I think. Uh, there you can buy CDs and have them shipped all over the world. So. But you could probably find a Canadian web shop who can sell them as well. I think Amazon. You can get them from Amazon. Yeah, you can get everything from Amazon, man. Yeah, you can. You can. The world is small today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if you can't find it, just uh, drop me a message on, on somewhere on the social medias and I will point you in which direction you have to go. Yeah, and so people should remember that that's is, is Beckstrom. It's B A E C K. S-T-R-O, and it's got the O with the two dots over it. Yes. What's that symbol called again? Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
<laughs> it's a beautiful sound. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, like, like in heard, for example, e e a in in English. Yeah. Heard. Yeah. So uh uh heard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Good. See. <laughs> You can move here now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I should, man. Like, pretty much like half my guests are from Sweden, so I'm sure I'd have a fun time over there. Yeah. You're very welcome here. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, listen, it's great talking to you, and uh, have a lovely Swedish uh, evening, I guess. You too, my friend. And uh, thanks again for having me. It was, it was great. Thank you. And that was my conversation with Yuan Beckstrom. Yuhan. Yuhan. I'm still pr- trying to practice that. And uh, listen, that's the end of the show. So I hope you enjoyed yourselves. Tune in to the next episode. It's going to be a gay old time. And uh, that's all I have to say. So have a lovely day. And keep on being cool. And uh, I'll catch you next time on Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. Thanks for If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting it by going to patreon.com slash beyondsynth or visit beyondsynth.com and click on support the show. Beyond Synth is made possible by the awesome Patreon supporters. Don't forget to follow Beyond Synth on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Live broadcasts can be heard weekly on Twitch at twitch.tv slash beyond underscore synth. Have a lovely week.